this morning. I'm just going to leave the announcements for you to, to, to read on your own in the worship guide uh, to film, film, familiarize yourself with opportunities uh, for service and connection. Um, and we'll invite our children uh, up through pre-K to uh, be dismissed. Uh, teachers are uh, will be out, meet you out in the front lobby. And as, uh, as we prepare to turn to God's Word this morning, let's uh, turn to Him once more in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You that uh, You give us not just encouragement, but You give us truth, and truth sets us free. Uh, truth sets us in a position of knowing You better, and we pray that that would happen today as we look to Your Word and as we see the Lord Jesus in it, and as we consider how it applies to our lives. And we pray that there would be clarity. We pray that there would be a transformation that happens in our lives as a result of your word today. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, so we are in a, a series working uh, our way through the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John so far has been largely a, a series of encounters that Jesus has had with ordinary people, ordinary people like you and like me. Uh, and in each of these encounters, they are presented with who Jesus is, and then we see how they respond to him. And, and we've looked at several of these encounters over the course of this series so far, but today as we continue, it's going to be uh, a little bit different uh, because instead of, of Jesus encountering some individual and then having some interaction with them, he, he gives uh, kind of this longer discourse in response to people's reaction to him. Uh, if you were here last week, you may remember we ended with this verse in John 5, uh, verse 18, where it says, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And the question, is Jesus really God, is one, of, one that is frequently asked today. I mean, people often find it hard to accept the claim that Jesus, a man born in a, a, at a certain time in a particular place, could also be the infinite God of the whole universe incarnate. I mean, just our understanding of the sheer scale of the cosmos and the magnitude and complexity of reality means that it's difficult for us to conceptualize the fact that the one who made all of that and keeps it all running, sustains it, is also a man who walked the dusty roads around Galilee thousands of years ago. However, as hard as people today find it to accept that Jesus is really, truly God, it was far harder for the people then. I mean, just imagine what it must have been like for a first century Jew, belonging to the most rigorously monotheistic people the world had ever seen to proclaim that the man who was standing in front of them was equal to God the Father. But this is exactly what Jesus was complaining. And in fact, verse 18 sets the trajectory for the whole discourse that we're looking at in the remainder of this chapter this morning. You see, the Jewish leaders rightly understood the claim that Jesus was making about himself, even though they were horrified by it. 
His claim was a bridge too far for many of the Jewish leaders at that time, even though they themselves were waiting for the Messiah. I mean, their whole faith was pointing forward to this Savior who would one day come and would rescue the world. And so they were waiting for the Savior. And yet Jesus shows up on the scene and he does some very Savior-like things, you know, healing people and things like that. And yet they don't believe in him. They instead, it says, want to kill him. Now, first blush, that, that seems very odd, but, but isn't that kind of exactly what we do? We want a Messiah, a Savior, that is in the mold that we get to define. And Jesus wasn't what they expected him to be. You know, they expected Jesus to come in as, as a, a conquering hero to overthrow Rome and to set up his, his, his own earthly kingdom. And they just didn't expect Jesus for he, who he was. You know, years, uh, years and years ago, this is a long time ago, I had this opportunity to meet a fairly interesting guy uh, on an airplane. He was uh, born in the Middle East. I, I can't remember... Uh, where he was, where he was born, but uh, he was living at the time in a big city uh, somewhere in, in Central America. I think it was in, in Nicaragua, where where he actually ran a nightclub. And he's like telling me on this flight this his whole life story. And eventually, he asks me a question. He says, "Now, what do you do for a living?" And I told him I'm a pastor. And his response was incredibly unique. He he was actually excited. You, 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 you see, most people, you know, when they find out, you know, find out I'm a pastor, they're not particularly excited. They replay the whole conversation, think, okay, how many profanities did I use? Did I, I say anything, you know, that, you know, you, you know what I mean? But, but this guy was like, no, 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 I got a whole bunch of questions for you. And, and so I thought, okay, well, here we go. And, but, but what I realized pretty quickly was that what this guy really wanted for, was for me to validate some beliefs that he already had about Jesus. And as the conversation unfolded, you could almost see him get kind of disappointed as, 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 as I pointed to scriptures and what it did say about Jesus because it didn't conform to what he already believed and thought about Jesus in his head. And similarly, this is what was happening with Jesus. The Jews don't expect him to be the Messiah that he is. And so in response to them, the response is them wanting to kill him and Jesus' response to that is he gives his teaching. And in this teaching, he gives three statements where he says, truly, truly, I say to you. And he lays out incredibly important truth about himself in each one of these truly I say statements. And then he turns the table on his hearers at the very end and talks about their response to him. And so as we work our way through uh, these verses today, just think about these statements of Jesus and consider uh, this, is, this is who Jesus truly really is. Do I accept him for who he is? Or am I trying to recreate a savior of my own making? And then Jesus will respond to us at the end of all of that. And let me also just say uh, this morning before we begin, 
that these verses do require some work from us. They do require us to, to put our thinking caps on, to fully understand and appreciate what Jesus is teaching. So we need to, to stay engaged this morning and follow along carefully if we want to benefit from these verses. Uh, but if we do, I, I, I think we'll be rewarded uh, by it. Okay, so we're in John uh, 5, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but, what on, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Now, I don't know if you've ever, ever seen a little boy copy uh, his dad, but I remember once watching a, a friend mow, mow his lawn, and he was like going back and forth. You know, you do that thing where you, you go around, and then you, then you turn around and go the other way. And I remember uh, that his, his little son, it was like, you know, like yay big, and, and he was just following behind his dad with his toy lawnmower. He was just walking behind his dad, and when his dad turns, he turns, and, 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 and he followed his dad back and forth across the lawn. And we've all seen this. We've all seen sons standing next to their dads and seeing um, them stand the same way, or they have the same gait when, they, when they're walking, or they throw their hands in their pocket the same way as their dad. You know, we pick up traits, both positive and, and negative traits. And so what Jesus is saying here is, listen, I am the son of the father, and what the a father does, I do. I follow after the Father. And it is even more profound with Jesus because Jesus is a separate person from God the Father. But he is all one God with him. So there's God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, three persons but one God. And so in a sense, he is perfectly in sync with God the Father. And yet Jesus is 100% human. He is fully man. I think over the course of Jesus' life, he had to learn in his humanity who he was. And that, that God the Father, through the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures, would make clear to Jesus who he was and what he was, is doing. And what Jesus says here is, the Father reveals to me what he is doing. And as he does it, I follow along with him. Like the kid walking back and forth in the yard. Verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater, greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Greater works than these. What are, what are those works? Well, th those are the miracles that the Jews were mad about. If you, were, if you remember last week, there were a couple of profound miracles Jesus performed. One, one was that he healed a Roman official son who was at the very point of, of death, as John describes it, and Jesus heals him from a distance. And then Jesus heals a guy who couldn't walk for 38 years. And these are very remarkable things. And Jesus says, greater things than these will the Father show whom? He says, him. So God the Father is going to show this stuff to Jesus. And he's going to show it to Jesus so that, so those, those who look at Jesus' ministry would marvel. So that Jesus would get some honor and, and glory. Now hold on to that. 
And, then, and Jesus then says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. He's like, okay, Dad and I are going to ramp this up. What God the Father does is he raises people from the dead, and I, as his Son, following along after him, I'm about to do that. Verse 22 The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So there are a lot of people who like to talk about God, um, or they like to say they believe in God, or they like to say that they they worship God, but you begin to talk about Jesus and they get squirrely. But do you see how connected God the Father and Jesus are? You can't have God the Father without Jesus. You can't have Jesus without the Father. They're so interconnected. And here it says that God the Father, who has all the authority, within the Trinity, God has the authority. He's the authoritative figure, and he has every right to, to judge the world, and yet he doesn't. Instead, he gives the authority, gives the task of judgment to Jesus. You know, it's become popular, uh, especially with, like, celebrities and celebrity culture and, you know, those who have been caught in a scandal or something to say, well, only God can judge me. Only a fool would actually invite God to do that. Because he actually does, right? And the way he judges is through Jesus. And that means every sinful thought, every sinful action, every sinful attitude is going to be judged. And God set it up that, that Jesus would, be, would do the judging for a very clear reason. What is it? Well, look at the passage. So that Jesus would get honor. So that Jesus would be lifted up. So that Jesus would be glorified. The most important, most vital way that we honor God is by honoring Jesus. In fact, Jesus is clear here. If you don't honor Jesus, you don't honor God. If you don't worship Jesus, you don't worship the only God that exists. Jesus is the only way to God. And that's his first truly I say statement. He is essentially saying, I am the only way to know God. Verse 24 Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So Jesus says, not only am I the only way to know God, I am the only way to eternal life. And the way to eternal life, he gives a little formula for it here. He says, you hear, so you hear the gospel message of of who Jesus is, and you believe. You hear and you believe and you have eternal life. There is no judgment for you. Let me give you a a big theological term here. It's an important one. Imputed righteousness. That's our theological word for the day. Imputed righteousness. What is that? Well, what that essentially says is I'm over here and I've got all kinds of sin in my life. And we all know from, from Scripture and from experience we know that we have sinned. And sin is just a fancy 
way to say you, you, you screwed up, right? It, it's any time we fail to reflect the, the image of God in what we say, think, or do. We, we know that we've hurt people. We know that we've made the big-time mistakes. We've ruined relationships. We've sinned against people and against God. We know that innately, right? And, and, and so that's who we are. At our core of our identity is someone who has messed things up. And then Jesus is over here, and, and, and he lives this sinless and perfect life. And when he died on the cross for our sins, for all who believe in him, he takes his righteousness, so all of his perfection, all of his goodness, all of his lack of sin, and he imputes it onto us. He credits it to us. He attributes it to us. He sticks it onto us. That's imputed righteousness. And what Jesus is here saying is that for those who hear the word and believe in him, his righteousness is imputed onto them and they have passed from death, all their sin leading to death, to life. Jesus' righteousness gives us life. Now, that's going to be incredibly important in three minutes. Let's keep reading. Uh, Verse 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming... And is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Okay, so what's he saying here? What he's saying is there's going, a day is going to come when Jesus is going to raise everyone who's ever died back to life. You know, someone, you know, someone recently asked me a really good question and said, now, isn't it, isn't it uh, true that when we die, we are immediately in the presence of the Lord? Yes, we are immediately in the presence of the Lord. But there's still going to be a, a day coming when our body is going to be resurrected. And then there's going to be a final judgment. And that's when we will get our new resurrection bodies and that whole thing. And and that's what he's talking about here. And so follow the path that Jesus describes. He says, God the Father has given him authority to judge. He's given him power over over life and death. Jesus Jesus will, will use his authority and power to speak life. And everyone will be raised again to one of two resurrections. Either to the resurrection of life to those who have done good or the resurrection of death to those who have done evil. Now, Wait a minute, didn't we just talk about imputed righteousness? Didn't we just say that it's not about what we've done? That determines our eternal, eternal life. So is Jesus now you know, contradicting himself here? No, we've got to put on our, our thinking caps here for a second. Like I said, Scripture and our experience tells us that we've screwed up, we've done wrong. There's nothing in us that brings us life. We haven't done good. In an eternal sense, we haven't done good, but, but Jesus has. And when Jesus imputes his righteousness onto us, that means that God the Father looks at us and sees whom? Jesus. So when God the Father looks at us on the day of judgment, he will say to us, you've done good. 
And so we'll walk to the resurrection of life. See, this is the gospel. This is why the gospel is called good news. What it means is it doesn't matter what evil you've done. It doesn't matter uh, who you have hurt or how wretched you have been or, or what your thought life is. If you believe in Jesus, it is as if you were as perfect and holy and righteous as he. And so what is this third truly I say statement Jesus says? He says that one day he will raise everyone from the dead and he will save those who believe in him. Now check out what Jesus just did in this little discourse. To the people who were opposing him, who were mad at him because he was declaring that he was equal with God. What is his response? Does he back down? Does he, does he give a little caveat? Does he try and soften the blow? No, no, he doubles down. He says, not only am I equal with God, you can't know God apart from me. There's no way to know God except through me, Jesus says. In fact, there's no way to have eternal life except through me. You must believe in me. That's the way to get to the eternal life. Not only that, but one day I'm going to be the judge. I'll determine the eternal destinies of everyone. Now what gives Jesus the right to make those exclusive statements like that? Because what Jesus is, is essentially saying is Muhammad can't save you, Joseph Smith can't save you, the flying spaghetti monster can't save you, you can't save yourself. Only Jesus can save. What gives him the right to say that? Well, he works to it. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. All right, listen very carefully what Jesus just said. It's a remarkable statement. He says, if I alone, if I am the only one who bears witness about myself, that I am the Savior, I am the Messiah, if I am the only one who says this, then my judgment, my testimony, what I have just said about myself is not true. What Jesus just did is he set himself up in direct opposition to how our culture thinks. What do I mean? Well, our culture says this, I am the decider. I get to decide truth about me. I get to decide the truth about morality for me. I get to uh, decide the truth about my sexuality. I get to decide the truth about how I will live my life. Deep down, we believe that we are the only ones who may appropriately make judgment about who we are and what we do. But the reality is this. There's a truth about you that exists independently of you. There's a real scriptural, verifiable truth that is true about you, whether you believe it or not. And so this would be my argument. I would argue that today, in 2022, the number one barrier we have to faith in Jesus is that we insist on being the self-authenticating masters of who we are. Therefore, we believe we get to decide what is true and real about the rest of the world. Let me say that again. 
The number one barrier to our faith right now is that we insist on being the self-authenticating masters of who we are. So therefore, we get to determine what is true about ourselves and about the world around us. But get this, Jesus, who is kind of self-authenticating, won't even be so arrogant as to say that about himself, what we say about ourselves. What does he say? If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. And Jesus is self-authenticating, but even he says, no, I don't get to determine the truth about me. Just a little tangent, when I sit down and talk with people about areas going on in their life or things that they're wrestling with, I often tell people, if you believe something about yourself that the people around you say is false, or if you believe something about yourself that, that is not something that you can validate independently of you, then it's not true. See, a lot of times we kind of deceive ourselves. I mean, let me give you an example. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said that every one of us carries a fatal flaw, and it's like bad breath. Everyone around you knows that you have it, but you don't. And you refuse to believe it that you have it, even though it is obvious to everyone around you handing you mints, right? And so, and it, so it's the same kind of idea. Now, if that is true for us in our sin, in our weakness, Jesus says, listen, when it comes to being the Savior, when it comes to me being the, the Messiah, I, I'm not even going to stand here and self-authenticate, even though Jesus could. He says, listen, I've got all kinds of other authentication. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. This is John the, the Baptist. Not that the testimony that I received is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He wants them to hear that he really is the Messiah. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works of the Father has given me to accomplish the very works I'm doing, the miracles he's been doing, they bear witness about me that the Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. How did the Father do that? Well, at Jesus' baptism, right? God the Father said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So, so Jesus is saying, I am, I am not even self-validated. I am telling you, John the Baptist is my forerunner. My miracles show who I am. And God the Father himself verbally spoke and affirmed that I am the Messiah that you have been waiting for. So Jesus lays the truth about himself all out. And then he says to them, what are you going to do about this? And, 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 and he lays down seven judgments on them. Don't worry, I'm not going to preach on all seven because that'd be another whole uh, sermon. But let me just read it and see if you can, if you can find the seven. He, he says, his voice, that's God the Father, you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Every verse in the Bible is about Jesus is what he's saying. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of, of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you would receive him, which is kind of a little bit of a dig there right at the end. 
What were his seven judgments of, uh, other than the dig? He says, you, you've, you've never heard God the Father's voice, but presumably he's saying, I have. He's like, you've never seen God the Father's form, but I have. You, you don't have the love of God in you, but I do. Therefore, the judgment that he gave to them is that they did not believe in him, that they refused to come to him, and they would not receive him. In other words, they were reading the Bible wrong. When they read the Bible, you see, there are two ways you can read the Bible. It's either all about you, or it's all about Jesus. It's about you and what you can do to save yourself. It's about you and, 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 and you know, what you must do. And, and you know, here's how you're wrong and, and, and you better get it right or you're in trouble. Or you're going to read it about, it, it about Jesus who imputes his righteousness to all who believe. And they will be saved independent of any action they have in their life. And then Jesus then throws it all down with a kicker in verse 44 how can you believe when you receive glory from one, another, from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? And there you go. Read that verse again. Read it yourself. You know what he's saying? He's saying your barrier to belief is you are trying to self-validate a message and insist that other people around you agree with your self-determination. You're looking for glory from other people instead of trying to get, to get that glory from God, the Father. And God is not going to play ball with you. And Jesus says, how can you believe in me when, when you're looking to yourself for validation instead of God? When you're trying to get glory from other people instead of from God? And so Jesus then ends in, a, in a, a very weird but kind of appropriate place. He says this, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. He's like, you guys are accusing me. Do you think I'm going to accuse you to the Father? No, there is one who accuses you, Moses. And he just kind of drops Moses into the conversation. On whom you have set your hope, for if you believed Moses... You would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? In what sense were they leaning and believing in Moses? In what sense did he accuse them? Well, Moses wrote the law. He wrote down the law, and the law was, was that thing that, that, that you would read that makes you feel, oh, I know I have failed at this, I've I've, I've lied, I've cheated, I've stolen, I've done all of these things in the law that it says separate me from, from God. And it, and it just settles in on us and, and it accuses us. And yet in the law it also was written that this Messiah would come to save. And at the beginning of the Gospel of John, the first week of this series, we read this verse. It says, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. Just like Jesus just said. The only God who is at the Father's side. But he, Jesus, has made him known. So what is the truth about Jesus? He is the only way to God. He is the only way to eternal life. 
And one day, in the end, he is going to be the final judge of all things. And if that is true, if that's the real Jesus, not the one we form in our head, but if that's the real Jesus, what is the appropriate response? Well, we know we can't save ourselves, and so the response is to hear the gospel, to believe in Jesus, so that he will give us all of his imputed righteousness and will give us eternal life. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, it's literally as simple as saying, I give up. I can't. You can. Thank you. Just believe in Jesus. And then when God looks at you, he will see him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious truth that Jesus is the only way. We thank you that it's glorious because it's true. And, and, and there, there are a lot of, of times we want to find other paths to be saved. We want to find other ways to make ourselves feel like we are good enough, that we are holy enough, that we're righteous enough. But we want to be able to, to even va- validate our own message in our own identity of who we are, but we thank you that the truth is all of us fall short and we need Jesus. And so we pray all of this in his name. We thank him. We give him the honor, him the glory, him the praise. Amen. Amen. We come to this table as we do each week, which is a, a tangible a picture of all that Christ has done for us. This is a picture of, of the gospel, and it is a table prepared for all of those who are resting in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what Christ has, has done for them. If that is you this morning, uh, we invite you to this table. This isn't Redeemer Presbyterian Church's table. This is the Lord's table, and you come at his invitation. And so uh, we invite you 